And as I told you, we do have Mr. Pastor Ted Bichelle from New York here today. Um, I talked to him, like I said, about two months ago. Call, uh, Pete and Marine hooked me up with him to say he was going to visit this week. Um, just come down and see him, see friends, see family. It just so happened this was the week he's here. And said, while he's here, he'd like to share with us. I, I hesitate to say it because he, he sent me an email of some of his messages. And I'm telling you, the message I listened to, I went back and listened to it again. It was one of the best messages I have ever heard in my life, truly. No pressure, Pastor Ted. But I'm telling you, he, he said, well, if that one was so good, just play it on YouTube and he'll go back home. There you go. I said, no, you're here. We want to hear from you. So thank you for being here. We yeah, appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Matt has been so helpful in getting me orientated. Pete as well. I wonder if you could just do me the honor of just letting me speak. I know we could tell you my wife, my family, my kids, and all that stuff. And ladies, you probably want to know all that. Um, Maureen can fill you. I really have a word on my heart that I want to share with you tonight, and I want to make sure it happens. Amen? So, Lord, tonight... In this place, we want your glory released into our hearts and lives. You know these people I don't. You know why they've come here tonight, Lord. And you know the word that's to be declared over them. And I pray that you will, Lord, speak deep into our hearts and our lives, to this church, to this body, to the influence they have in this community. I'm asking this in your name, in your name alone. Amen. And yes, married 42 years to the same woman, thank you, Jesus. Two kids, both in ministry, two grandkids, and used to have a dog. We gave it to the grandkids. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Isn't it interesting when you read through Scripture sometimes, you just kind of read through. And every so often, God has to stop us from just reading through. Sort of like, uh, you know, us as men, when we get the directions, we kind of give them a look. We go, yeah, look at that. And then we start doing whatever we want. And then we read the directions because our wife is standing there holding them for us. But there is a place in Scripture that we are familiar with where Jesus heals the blind man in the city of Bethesda. And, and yet there's, there's an important part to this that, that is critical if we are understand if we are to understand the transforming work i'm all about the transforming work that jesus wants to do in our lives i am not about let's just coast along until jesus comes because god's called us to be a people to impact and influence this world not just as a big church or a little church not just with the programs that we have as good as they have we have a hundred different ministries in our church that affect all kinds of people. But unless people see the transforming work of Christ in our lives, they're just programs. They're just events. They're just things that keep us occupied and stay a little bit focused. But ultimately, it's your life and my life that's being transformed by the power of the Lord. And so in Matthew 11, we read that Jesus is now, he, he's at this place and uh, just leading up to it, he tells this kind of little crazy story, and some of you might remember it, uh, where he's, he's uh, comparing the people around, the, the, the community around, to children that are just kind of like being foolish. I, I played this song, and you danced, or you didn't dance, and he's basically saying you're all like children. You're just reacting to everything around. That's what your life has become, just this little world as children. Wonderful. I have a granddaughter that 
has ima an imagination beyond, beyond anything. You can give her a fork and a knife and she will have conversation with them. They will go out together, they will argue, they will have all kinds of things. At, at six years old, it's the cheapest gifts we can give her. <laughs> but if we look at this passage, all of a sudden, Jesus makes this incredible statement. He says, then Jesus, in verse uh, 20, Matthew 11, began to denounce the cities in which most of the miracles had, he had performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you were performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you, uh, will you lift up to, up to the skies? Do you, um, I'm sorry, no, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have been remained to this day. But I tell you, that it'll be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Here, this is the setting. This is what, where Jesus' heart is. And, and look what he said. He's made these absolute statements about uh, Bethsaida, that miracles took place and, it, and there was no response from the people. In fact, I dare say that it was more of entertainment than anything. Look, look do a miracle, Jesus. Turn the water into wine. Heal this person. It became sort of a, an entertainment. And there wasn't a sense of, of repentance, of people's hearts being turned towards God. And as much as we would like to turn the channel and watch everything going on, he was saying to them, there, there's no faith here. There's no faith in the, in, in the presence of God. Jesus, the very presence of God. But they were not able to see it because there was something keeping them from seeing and understanding the deep things that God wanted to do and was doing. And as Jesus was touching these lives, there was, there was a lack of faith and a lack of repentance. You know, faith and repentance go hand in hand. Because as our faith in Christ grows, as we spend this time in worship here, it's more than just singing some songs that are beautiful songs. When those songs come forth and our heart goes up to the Lord, there may be places where right in that moment you realize the Holy Spirit is reflecting you something that has to change. Well, don't we have to wait to the end, Pastor, when we're up at the altar here? Oh, no. That's what worship is all about. You're in the presence of God, and the presence of God comes into our hearts and our lives, and there's a reflection of his holiness. And when there's places where that holiness cannot dwell, that's when repentance has to take place. And so here, Jesus is speaking, and he's, you know, that lack of repentance, that lack of faith he restored. In other words, the people were just going through life. Jesus happened to be the most interesting thing at the moment, and that's what they were looking at. He says, if you would have known, if you would have understood, you would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Could you imagine? We get to that place and we realize the presence of God, the healing of God, and, and Jesus says, it should affect you so much that you feel like I'm not worthy even to be here in the midst of this miracle. I'm not sure I still understand what that fully means. But I know this, Jesus was not a happy man. He was not happy with the city. He was not happy with anything that went on there. And for him to say you, that this very thing, that he was rebuking Bethesda, he was be rebuking them for the lack of faith, their lack of repentance, basically for denying the presence of God in the midst of the miracles that were happening. Bethesda already rejected his presence. 
and he rebuked them fully. Now, we get to the other part of the story. Mark chapter 8. And this is where the miracle happens. But look at the setting. Now you know the setting. And this is now later. Jesus comes in. They came to Bethesda, Jesus and his disciples. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. These are the people that rejected, that mocked, that just didn't, there was no response. Now he comes into the city and they bring, not everybody, they bring one person, a blind man. And they, it says that, you know, other places of scripture says, and they brought the sick and they brought the and, uh, demon possessed and Jesus healed and rebuked and so on. Here they, the whole city comes out, they bring one person and they beg him to heal. I've been in services where people have begged Jesus to do something powerful. I've been in services where people have just cried out. But this is different. It's almost like they're saying, please do something with this man. Do something in his life. Heal him. Now, I don't know. There's no, we don't have any, any understanding of what really was in their hearts. All they knew is they came and they said, and, and they took, they begged Jesus to heal him. Then, and this is, but this is the interesting thing. Look what happens. Jesus has rebuked this city. He hasn't changed. They didn't come and say, we're so glad you're back. We're ready to repent. We've, we've not realized the presence of God. We've been so busy about just doing our own stuff. Jesus says, he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside of the village. He didn't heal him in Bethesda. He didn't heal him with the crowd that was there. He took that personal, intimate touch touched the man who couldn't see and walked him out of Bethesda. We don't read, and a crowd followed. It's as if Jesus just stopped everybody, took this one man in need, and walked him out. He walked him outside of the village, and when he had spit in the man's eyes, on the man's eyes, and put his hands on him, Jesus said, do you see anything? No one's there. Jesus and the man, maybe the disciples, and this is what he says he looked up and said I see people they look like trees walking around question why this like two step healing what was it that Jesus was doing what was the heart what was the heart of, the, of, of Christ in the midst of this healing he takes him out of town because guess what this town had been rebuked by God it was no longer a place of healing. It was a no longer a place to be restored. It was no longer a place to be transformed. And the only way he could heal him was removing him from that place of unbelief. Much like us. Much like us when we are in a place of unbelief, of comfort. Now, I wonder if Jesus could do this today. I wonder if that... Sort of entertain us, God, with something spiritual. Maybe we could go on a Wednesday night and the Holy Spirit would come. Oh, didn't. We'll just go home now. So Jesus says, I'm taking you out of that because I want to heal you. I want to personally, intimately walk you to a place of healing, but it's not going to be in the place of unbelief. It's not going to be in the place of sin. It's not going to be a place that has not been repented. I'm walking you outside. And, and I believe that in the midst of this, when he said, I see men 
like trees walking around. This was part one because he, the man, had to get to that place of believing that he could see. Now, I'm not talking about name it, claim it, and I don't have cancer, and therefore, I'm not talking about that. That's foolishness. I'm talking about this man who had to see. And Jesus, it was two steps. The first one was, I'm touching you, open your eyes and see something that you've never seen before. And honestly, I think that man would have been happy just seeing men walking around like trees. And because his heart was so open, he says, okay, once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go in to the village. It's a very powerful thing. The village represented everything about this man's life. Maybe his business, his culture, his identity, his history, his successes, his failures. It is everything, just like us. Our village that we're in, whether it be here at the church or where we live, it, everything, it defines us. We go to work, there's a definition of who we are. We raise our children, it's a definition of who we are and who they are. And Jesus was very clear. Don't go back into the, I'm taking you out, don't go back. You gotta say, why? Why didn't he say to him, now go back to that unbelieving village and show them that you can see? He didn't. Because the rebuke remained on that village. Because that village would only suck the miracle out of that man's life. Would he go blind again? I don't know. But for sure, what Jesus wanted to do in his life was accomplished. And the Son of God says, don't go back. Because whatever's in that village is not blessed by me. And the very sight that I give you, you will not see clearly anymore. And that, see, that's... The clearly, of course, I really believe it was clear. In other words, no longer trees, but truly seeing in front of him. But at the same time, there was something about this man's life that was being transformed. And that transformation could not continue in that village. And so he tells him to go home. You know, I don't know if, this, if the town itself realized Jesus' attitude because, you know, they didn't have cell phones, obviously. There wasn't a news report. But word traveled that these cities were rebuked by God. And so he took the man, this blind man, out of the unbelief to a place where he could intimately touch his life. See, to me, that is where the transformation of our lives in Christ is all about, being transformed intimately, uniquely for whoever we are, my life, your life, whatever it is. And so when Jesus stepped into his life, he's, he said, you know, he, I'm going to take you to a place of healing. I'm going to take you to a place where I can restore you, but not in the unbelief. I think the question we need to ask ourselves really is what's your Bethesda? What's your Bethesda? Where, what's your village? What is the place that sucks your belief in Jesus out? Where is the place that when God does a miracle, when you come back from here and you say, wow, what a great service, we had a wonderful time, that you're mute when it comes to your unsaved friends and family? What is it in our hearts and our lives that when we, go, when we feel the presence of God in our life, all of a sudden we can almost feel it draining out? 
before we get home? What is it in our lives that we link on to that somehow disconnects us from the ongoing work, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. You see, for Jesus, he said, don't go back to that village. Get away from that place because I'm going to do something. Think about this. Blind and seeing, that's a big difference. You walk home and your wife and your family is there, or maybe he was, who had no relationships, he sees everything. That's huge. He's not going to go back to be begging on the side of the road as a blind person because he's not blind anymore. His whole life has changed. But if he went back to the village, they'd say, oh, here's the blind guy. You're supposed to sit over there every day. That's where you sit, in that spot there. Yeah, but I'm not blind anymore. I know, but we're really used to you sitting in that spot. Could you just sit there? And the job that you have, well, that's the job we need you to do because you're blind. No, not blind anymore. Yeah, but we need you to do that job. We need you to continue in that place. You see, that's what happens to us sometimes. We don't move ahead because that village, that place in our heart and our life brings us back. Repentance releases us from those things that hold us back for the transforming work that God wants to do in our lives. I don't know what it is. It could be anything in any of our lives. It could be those things that we are just so used to, those routines that we're used to. You know, I know that we're to be a light in the darkness but sometimes as I watch people's lives, I've been at the church 39 years, I've watched a lot of lives, good and bad. I've watched people get miraculously healed and walk away from the Lord. And I've found over and over again that that village is the culprit. That village is the place that drains our faith out. Jesus removed him from the village. It's the unsaved family and friends. Now, Jesus speaks strongly. Unless you leave your mother, your father, you're saying that we're to leave them. And that's starting a cult. But the reality is our unsaved friends, our uns that we easily interact with, and they don't, they, yeah, I know they're very, they go to that church in the meadow someplace, I don't know. They go on Sunday, they go on Wednesday. But they're pretty much like us. What a horrible thing to say. We need to be part of a body of, we need to be part of the body of Christ so that wherever we go, this transformation that takes place in our lives. Does that mean we're standing on top of the, the table preaching with our Bible? No. But definitely, if our greatest influence in our life is the unsaved world rather than the transforming work of Christ, then there's a problem. Because no matter what God does, when we step back into that village, it'll be sucked right out of us. We'll go back to the deception, we'll go back to the lying, we'll go back to the routines that we've come familiar with and people have become familiar with us. You see, when God starts doing a work, and maybe it's happening tonight, we can't go back to that village and be comfortable anymore. We can't go back to that place that we've grown up in, that we've gotten used to, that we do business in, that we have relationships in. And when God does a work in our life, so much so that Jesus said, don't go back. Don't have an attitude that says, this is really great. I'm going back over here. And it disappears. What are the things that impact you? What is the village in your life that, that begins to 
deny the very work that God is doing? What is it? What are the things that happen in your life where you realize that tonight, by the time you go to bed, whatever I'm saying right now just drifts away? Now, the children are gone except for one. But I want to I, I, I want to put some I want to put some reality on this. Is it going home and in your relationship, maybe as husband and wife, there's anger, unforgiveness, there's cursing, there's arguing? Do you go home, men, and find yourselves on a computer in a place that you shouldn't be? And for the sake of the one child here, you know what I'm saying. Is it a place where deception, and I have to say this, I don't know this church at all, I know, only know Pete and Maureen, but as I was just preparing my heart all day, I felt like God was saying a spirit of deception. That somehow, when you go back to your world, your village, it's filled with places where you have to live in this sense of deception. Nobody knows, but it's happening. Nobody understands, but it's happening. And I want to tell you today that God heals us from those things, but it's not going to happen in the midst of it. We have to get out of it to know the healing that God wants to bring in our hearts and our lives. Is it abuse? Is it an addiction? It could be anything. Is it addiction just to what we watch on TV? It could be addiction to gossip. It could be addiction to anything. You see, what, what Jesus is trying to get across here is, I want to heal you, but I will heal you separate from this, not in it. He refused to heal the man in the midst of a city that had been rebuked by God. God will not heal us if we keep saying, heal me over here. This is where I'm comfortable. This is what I'm used to. I know this routine. Our church is, is old. It's it, uh, 60-something years old. Started by Norwegians. Then Italian families came in, and the next generation, next generation, next generation, all different people from all different places. And even cultural things hold us back. We had many families from our, that are in our church now. Probably at some point, there was probably 60% of our congregation were formerly Catholics. And little by little, as we were healing and praying for healing and restoration and so on, this little Catholic thread started coming into the church. Now, I'm not anti-Catholic, but I'm pro-Christ. <laughs> we're not praying to Mary. We're not praying to the saints. See, there's a place where, see, the enemy knows what we're comfortable. He knows where we're comfortable. He knows we're comfortable about our finances. Are we tithing? Well, you know, we're over in the village again. You know, it's really hard. The gas price is up. This is going so bad. Tithing is a biblical principle. It's not an option. I'm going to do a miracle in your life. Maybe we see it in our job. We see it in some incredible way. But tithing, so we don't really do that in the village here. And this miracle starts to evaporate. Our daughter was getting married, <laughs> did get married, like two weeks, a month before COVID went crazy. 
She was marrying into a, 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 a Guyanese family, big family, big. We've got like, you know, somebody said, you probably be saving for your daughter's wedding your whole life. I'm like, yeah, right. We've been eating and living, you know, but not, not saving for a wedding. So uh, the engagement took place on a Saturday, you know, classic, you know, not private. Everybody's there. We're standing in the shadows on the beach. It was really beautiful. It was Saturday. Sunday morning, I'm out in the backyard having my time with the Lord, and I said, God, I can't pay for a wedding. Uh, how am I going to pay for a wedding? I have no, I no idea. You know, I said to Phyllis, maybe just like immediate family, like four. You know, we can all get together, have barbecue, call it a day. So uh, that was it. I, I prayed. I said, God, I, I, whatever you want to do, we want this wedding to glorify you. That's all. Whatever that takes. We don't know. We go to church. We have this greeting time that we used to do before COVID. And I don't know why. I always sit on one side of the church. That's where the pastors sit because that's where we sit. And I felt like the Lord said, go over to the other church. Go over to the other side of the church. Okay. So I go over. This man comes out of nowhere. He says, oh, Pastor Ted, I'm so glad I saw you here. I have something for you. He shakes my hand and puts, like we call it a Pentecostal handshake. I don't know what everybody else calls it. Obviously, he had money in it. So I said, oh. Oh, put it in my pocket, but it was like a lot. I thought, this is weird. Now, now we're in the service, we're worshiping, I'm thinking, what is in my pocket? <laughs> oh, I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I'm so, what is in my pocket? So finally I said, I can't do that, I can't. I go out the side, down the hallway, down the back, take the money out. It's all wrapped up in rubber bands and everything else. It was $5,000. I never made it back to the service because I was broken in the back hallway. Yet God heard the cry of my heart. From that point on, we just planned a wedding that would honor the Lord. And I am in awe. When it was all over, I said to Phyllis, what did this end up costing us? Because uh, the groom's family was able to take care of a lot of what she told me I said how did we do that she goes I have no idea it was a number that if you would have told me this is what it's going to cost I'd be like mm, not happening because we kept out of the village that was looking at all the numbers and looking at this and what about this and what about this we just said we want this wedding to glorify God that's all that matters I don't know how many people are there were 350 people were at the reception I don't know how many people but probably 25% of them were all unsaved people that our daughter worked with that came back to the church. Did they all get saved? No. But it accomplished what we wanted to because we were obedient and, not, and did not stay in the village. They said, no, this can't work. They said, you have to look at the paper here. This is a we said, God, you want to do something and we're not going back to that village. We are honoring you with whatever's going to happen. Can I tell you that that's, that's the way we need to live our lives. I'll give you the name and the address of the guy that gave you the money. Maybe he's got something for you <laughs> too. But again, Jesus sent him home saying, don't, don't go back to that village. Don't go back to the history of failure that you've had in your life. Don't go back to that sin that nobody knows about except you. 
Don't go back to that place. Maybe you had an abortion. Maybe you had affairs. Don't go back to that place alone. Step outside of that and say, Jesus, I'm here to be healed. I'm here to be renewed. I'm here that that will no longer define who I am anymore. I am not going to lose your glory and what you want to do in my life because what I've, what I've held on to for so many years. You see, when, when God took him out, he, he took him away of everything, and that's what God does. He takes us away from the stuff that the world would tell us, that the enemy would tell us, and he says, that's not who you are because when you accepted me, as Lord and Savior of your life, you were born again. You have a new father. You have a new direction. You have a new life. And the Holy Spirit is alive in you. And everything from the past now comes under the blood, the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. And you have a new life that isn't defined by the village anymore or anything else. It's defined by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the one that says you're free from the sins of your past that nobody even knows about. You're free from the things that you've held on to, thinking, how could I ever really be free when this exists? We had a men's retreat in the spring. And as I was sharing with the men about some aspect of this very thing, I felt in my heart, I said, there are some men here that are still holding on to the fact that they helped someone, girlfriend, wife, somebody with an abortion. Now, I'm standing going, thinking, there was 100 guys there. I'm thinking, maybe, maybe three, four guys. The room stood up, scared the life out of me. But so many of these men were finally set free. They had visions and nightmares, and they began to share them with me, one after another after another catching me outside, I, can I talk with you? Because they knew they were free from the village that defined them. The village that defines many of us today. Those things that we keep going back to because we're used to, we're comfortable, we realize that's the way it's supposed to be. I'm always gonna be this way, there's always gonna be the way I am, that's not. We are set free in Jesus Christ. We are healed in Jesus Christ. We have our eyes open to see things that we've never seen before when God touches us. But we have to leave the things behind that he's telling us to. The sin, the things that has defined us for way too long. James 5 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective. Our old life can be an idolatry, can be idolatry, it can. We can just say, I know God can do a lot of things, but he can't do this in my life. Nobody can change my life. Nobody can change the way I was raised. Nobody can just change whatever it is. My dad was a great dad, not a, not a Christian. He did dad stuff. He worked. We had life. We were fine. Relationship with him, zero. He did what dads do in, of his generation. They take care of stuff. They never tell you they love you. They never hug you. They, they don't do that. They didn't do it, and that's the way I grew up. And I remember at one point, 
I was in a, a seminar, it's called Ancient Past, and there was this whole sense of, you know, waiting for the, the, your earthly father to bring that love to you. And finally, somewhere in the midst of it, although I didn't know this passage at all in light of it, I, s I felt like God said, I'm taking you away from that to heal you. And in the next hour, as I wept, tried to understand the love of a heavenly father upon my life, all of a sudden my love for my earthly father increased in ways that I could never ever believe could happen. And instead of waiting for him to do something that he had no ability to do, God said to me, you go and share your love with him. It changed everything. Because I was no longer in this village that said, no, you can't do that. You see, that's the way your dad is. You have a father wound. It's going to be that way your whole life. That's who you are. That's who men are. That's what it is. God said, that village, that's not your home anymore. You have a home here as a believer that can speak life into your earthly father that nobody else can, but you can because you're healed. And you can see now where you couldn't see before. Can we have enough faith to say, I'm not, I don't want my life to be defined by this world. This world does not know Jesus. I don't care how nice it is. I don't care how dressed up it is. I don't care how we present it. It doesn't know Christ. And whether it be our finances, whether it be our relationships, whether it be our jobs, whatever it is, they are not Christ-centered. They just are not. And when God comes in and opens our eyes, and causes us to see, you know, it's this term, really, a principle throughout Scripture, that death, that death precedes life. Something has to die. And it's very hard for us to let certain connections die in order to see what God wants to do. You can adjust. You can make it work. But what happens when we're all in for what God wants for us? What happens? What happens when we go home tonight and instead of turning the TV on and finding out the news of who cares? What happens when we just, you know, flip on the channel, whatever it is? What happens, men, when we're done watching the shoot 'em up, beat 'em up movies? Or the women watching the romantic, you know, how many Hallmark movies can you watch? What happens when we say, no more? We are not going to find, that, that flat screen is not going to define our life anymore. What happens when we say, no more to the village that says, you know, well, we really don't pray together. What happens when we say, no, no, we do now? What happens when our eyes get open and we realize, I need to pray with my spouse, I need to pray with my kids? Yeah, but they went to church on Wednesday night. Isn't that enough? No, not enough. Not enough. Our kids travel all over the world, literally, worshiping, working with orphanages. The greatest gift we get is when we hear, Dad, pray for us. He's not afraid to ask that. It's not because I'm a pastor. We pray for them. We call them all over the world when we sense God saying, pray for them. See, it's not enough to be able to say, someone needs to hear this. I'm, it's not enough to just bring your children here on a Wednesday night, Sunday, or anything else. If when they walk home, 
It's a village that doesn't have Christ in the center of it. It's not enough. Your kids need to see you as parents, not just say, oh, Jesus, bless this food, amen. Lord, thank you for this day, amen. You got to get hold of them. You got to put your hand upon them and say, Lord, bless my son and daughter. Give them understanding and vision. Open their hearts and open their lives. A six-year-old starts hearing that. Our son heard that his whole life. He now travels all over the world with his wife. I think it's because he said to me one day, I said, his name is Bradley. I said, Bradley, so, you know, I was in one of those talkative, let's, let's, re let's reflect. And I said, so, uh, so what is it? You know, how, how, what, what, uh, what do you think of me as my dad? I guess I was having a moment. I said, what do you think of me as dad? He goes, dad, and our faith. I said, how is it working? He said, dad, the one thing, and I'm not doing this, I'm doing this because it's important. He said, dad, you're consistent wherever you go. If you're at McDonald's, if you're from the pulpit, if you're in a difficult situation, you're always the same. I thought that was the greatest thing anybody could ever say to me. And I think it's a challenge for us because a long time ago, Phyllis and I stepped out of the village. We said, we're not living this way anymore. You have to get a house, you have to get this. We're not doing this anymore. God, where do you want us to live? How do you want us to live? What do you want us to own? Where do you want us to go? I believe our trip down to be here when Peter Maureen, with her coming out of the hospital, was absolutely God's ordained time. Because in January, I'm a planner, January, I said, God, where do you want us to go this summer? What do you want to, there's a lot of stuff going on in the church. We had to shift a whole bunch of things around. And here, we're driving in the car, and we get the message that Maureen is home. It's impossible to have planned it, except God had a plan. What happens when you sit with your kids before you go off to wherever you're going? All right, family, let's get around the table. Lord, what do you want us to do with our vacation this year? How do you want us to spend this week? What happens? Because what you're saying is, this village that says you're supposed to do this, we're not doing that. We're doing what you say. We're coming out of the village, we're opening our eyes, and we're going to see things that we've never seen before and experience things that we've never experienced before. So tonight, as my heart was just being prepared I guess the, the real challenge is, is for you and for me, what makes up the village that's defining you, that God wants to move you out of? What is it? What are the things that matter more to you than to be obedient to the Lord? What is it? And you know what? I love the fact that God does not have a guessing game all the time. We don't have to say, oh, I don't know, let me try this. God, show me anything in my life that is defining more me more than you. Show me anything. Show me any area of my life. I guarantee you that within days, things will come to the surface that you've, 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 you've buried because they've just been part of your routine. All of a sudden, God's going to say, there, there, there. Every day, no matter where I am, I travel, not a lot, but I travel enough. Whether I'm in another country, whether I'm home, whether I'm at Peter Maureen's, I get up at six o'clock, whatever time zone I'm in. Because a number of years ago, I was being defined by I'm too tired, it's late, I'm not feeling good, I'm gonna sleep in, I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna, I need, some, I need to do some stuff. And the Lord stopped me one day and said, if you wanna see what I have to do 
and every day do to be with me. And I realized that the only way that could happen is if I said, if I made a time, and I did. And at 6 a.m. every day, my alarm goes off. And I, I get up, have my coffee, because that's an important spiritual thing to do. <laughs> and then I have my time with the Lord. Do I read the scriptures? Yes. Do I worship? Yes. Do I, have, do I spend three hours together? No, because you know what? I have a life just like all of you. The dog has to be walked. The newspaper has to be picked up. The laundry has to be moved. from the But I get up, and my day starts for that first half an hour just with the Lord. And I cannot tell you the amount of times that I've stepped out of that time like, whoa, all right, Lord, I know what you're going to do today, but I'm ready for it. I don't care about all this stuff over here. But when this defines us, we squeeze in some quick prayer with the Lord. And it's not enough. I'm so sorry it's after 8 o'clock. I see that. But can I, uh, can the worship team come up? And um, just, I would just like to take a moment with you. That's all right. You know, this is what happens when you invite somebody from the outside. But here's what I want you to do. I'm just going to ask if, if we can just stop, just stop right now. As the worship team begins to just minister, can you just be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life right now? Can you just be saying, God, I don't even know if I understand half of what he said tonight, but I know one thing I want to see. I don't want to be blind anymore. I don't want to be defined by everybody and everything around me. Because I believe what God wants to do in this body is only going to happen when everybody's seen. When we're not trying to be like another church or another group of people. When it's not just being comfortable. I mean, we're all together. Great. What's God doing? We need to know. We need to be ready. We need to leave here tonight and be able to say, God, I'm ready. And if I'm not ready, make me ready. Ready for what God wants to do. Transformation. The Bible says, confess your sins to one another. Now I'm not going to ask you to stand up and confess your sins. That probably would not be good. But can I encourage you in the relationships that you do have? Not to run out tonight and say, well, here, here's my list. But could you be ready if the Holy Spirit prompts you, maybe as a husband and wife? say, hon, I need to tell you something. And if someone comes to you from this body, from tonight, and they say, you know, I, you know, we've been friends for a long time. I need to share something with you that God has put on my heart, not for me to just dump my stuff out. When someone says that to you, you listen with the ears of the Holy Spirit and be ready to minister life to them. Because that first confession is sort of like the trees. I'm not sure, but I know I'm seeing something that I've never seen before. Never seen. This man was blind. Never saw before. Now he sees these trees like men. He doesn't know what men look like, but somehow, but when that confession, when that healing is complete, you will see things like you've never seen before. You will pray like you've never prayed before. You will have a hunger for the Word of God like you've never had before. There'll be something that'll be transformed because you'll be able to see me. Pray over you.
Father, over all those gathered here tonight, I know some came for a meal and to hear someone speak, but I believe everyone came here tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit for the transforming work that only you can bring. And I know, Lord, there are some here, and I believe it with my whole heart, that have lived in the spirit of deception and have, have not understood how to get out. So in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I want you to just hold on to what that is right now, wherever that is. Let the Holy Spirit bring a revelation to you. You may say, I, I've never thought about this for 30 years. You're getting a revelation. Someone is getting a revelation of something that happened over 30 years ago. And the Lord's showing you that's your village that I'm taking you out of. Now, Lord, I pray that you will open the eyes of those that have been blinded for so long. Open our eyes, Lord, that we can see Jesus. That we can see clearly. That we can understand fully the transforming work that you want to do in our hearts and lives. Now pour yourself out over these that are gathered here, I pray. Pour yourself out. Pour yourself out, Lord. Move us away from those comfortable places to a new place, Lord. And our heart is to leave the village and to move, see fully what you have for us. I pray you'll bless the leadership of this church. Bless them as they seek you, Lord. Not to be a church defined by this world or other churches, but be the church with eyes open to see what you have for them. And may you bless them as they seek a pastor. May you bless them as they move towards you and do the transforming work so that when you bring that pastor in here, the work of the Holy Spirit has begun already. And I pray your blessing over those gathered here tonight in the name of Jesus. And I don't know what you normally do, but would you stand as we worship right now and just let the Holy Spirit minister be open to the move of the Holy Spirit into your heart right now.